All right, welcome to the Brian Progressive Podcast. That is me, and really happy to have you and a French hawk with me. Uh, I've been aware of you for a while. You've, I was at a, a wedding that you um, you married some folks that I was at uh, the ceremony with, and I think I've seen you here and there over the years, but I think I've dropped into you more deeply uh, over at Chocolate Church that our friends mm-hmm. Truth, I, and Aradna have yes. and um the uh then you let a sweat lodge that i was uh, blessed to participate in and i think i've been like just really questioning really deeply kind of where we at you know as far as humanity and as a species and our challenges and and what's the way forward you know what's what how do we how do we face these challenges that we have on multiple fronts and you know as life does like you know you kind of appeared in this deeper way in my life and it it felt like what you were speaking to was um was providing that answer you know in Mm -hmm. a very humble way and so that's kind of the impetus behind this is just to just come on here together and and share with people um what is the way forward through these challenges that we face and these uh problems that we face um and and kind of going into um providing some of those answers for people. I think what you'll probably get to share is that it starts on an inner level and then it goes into the outer level, but um, I'm excited to dive into that with you. And I think one of the reasons that you have the wisdom that you do is because you have a unique upbringing uh, from, from most people. So why don't we just start there, just kind of sharing where you come from and, and you know how you identify yourself and we'll go from there. Okay. Okay. Well, Brian, I really appreciate the opportunity to come and to uh, be present today. French, Yonaguska in the Cherokee uh, language means bear underwater. But interpreted by the white settlers that came, they understood it and called him drowning bear. And I kind of like the energy of bear underwater better than drowning bear. Uh, but my great, he was my great-great-grandfather, and he was the chief of the Cherokee during the time of the removal uh, enforced by the U.S. Army and Andrew Jackson here in Western North Carolina, uh, while we know it's the Trail of Tears. My grandfather, Yon Augusta, was the chief of the Cherokee, the Eastern Band of Cherokee, as we know them now, and was the chief that led the Cherokee that remain here in these mountains today, the Eastern Band of Cherokee, to hide in the mountains. We refused to go, and we hid from the army. We didn't go to war. We refused to leave the only home that we ever knew. So that's the lineage I come from on my grandfather's side and from the, from the wolf clan. And on my mother's side, I come from the bird clan. And we're a major oracle society. So my mother's grandfather, my maternal grandfather's last name was French Hawk. So that's why I go by the French hawk. So I have the lineage, the bear wolf medicine from my father, the masculine energy, and the bird feminine energy from my mother. And so my mother and father were in an arranged marriage. I'm eight of nine children, and the elders of our tribe saw fit for my mother and father to come together and have children in hopes of raising conscious ones for the future to share the ways of the earth, to show how we live in transition, 
how we face challenges that are happening to us that were due to us before the settlers come, before there were boundaries set, before there were lines and cities, there was just land and the people. And the challenges that we faced were the people that wanted what we had, but we didn't own. So I'm really the first generation, maybe the second generation that I know of, that was uh, energetically faced with this challenge of being moved off our land because somebody else wanted to appreciate this beauty and wanted to own it. So when you ask of who am I and how do we move forward in facing the challenges, it's a multifaceted answer because uh, it's a loaded question. Uh, there's a lot of history that, you know, unfortunately we, we couldn't really go into in the time that we have. But with what's happening in the world right now as we see it, and me being raised in a culture where I have that lineage of maybe not so much rebellion, but standing firm in who I am. Like these Appalachian Mountains, like the very Smoky Mountains and Blue Ridge Mountains I was raised in. The very tree people, the big, have you ever seen a great big oak tree just stand there and look at you? Not even looking at you, just looks right past you because there's just so much out there in the world. And as a child, those were my storytellers, the stands tall people, the one-legged ones. These were the people that my grandfather told me whenever I was a child to listen, whenever the wind blew and it came through the leaves and it whistled a, a sound. He said, that's the language of the tree people in the wind speaking to you. They're telling you a story, so listen. And that's how I became accustomed to listening to nature. I didn't take botany classes. I didn't excel in biology. I didn't excel in uh, science or psychology. It was just the simplicity of my upbringing, of knowing how to walk out into the woods. I didn't learn how to speak English until I was nine or 10 years old. And whenever I was young, you talk about challenges in first and second grade, I couldn't speak English. And my mother and father sent me to the white school, the public school, because the Indian school on the reservation, and we don't really call it a reservation. Reservation is a land set aside by the government for the Indian people. We had to buy our land back twice. They took it from us and moved us to Oklahoma and my grandfather hid or his, the people that followed him, they hid and they hid so long and Andrew Jackson got tired of hunting for them and okay, we'll make peace with you. You just go live here, we'll leave you alone. So this is a boundary. This isn't a reservation and they made us buy it back. Twice. So those were the challenges that are echoes in my spirit. That's the spirit of those that stood here and refused to leave these mountains, Brian, because this is the only home you've ever known. It's the only home I've ever known. So when we talk about who I am, yes, I'm Yona French. but I'm just an echo from a voice that started a long time ago, many generations. And hopefully I'm doing justice to those that have come before and to those that are on their way and be present in this moment.
because there's the atrocities and you know through the internet we find today through technology like we're sitting here on zoom talking to everyone and you know these were maybe you might recall if uh, i might have mentioned this at chocolate church of you know silence and nature are the first internet the first google the first you know the messages of nature when something spoke in nature and the birds heard it and they'd repeat it and that was the first Twitter, the very first Twitter, and it got retweeted and retweeted down the mountain and all the birds and the story went out into the wind and it was tweeted all over. Who knows how many followers there were? There had to be billions. But it wasn't an effort. It was an effortless voice. It was an effortless one voice that regardless of what language you spoke, if you just stood in silence and listened, Everything was clear. And as we face the challenges of what's going on in the world, because now that same energy that became, began in purity and harmony has now been, I, I want to use the word corrupted, and, and that might be a good word, but we human beings are way down the chain, the food chain of evolution on this earth. So I think it's awfully uh, rude of us to assume we're the most intelligent species here and to know our place, to know that without the bees and the trees and nature, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to create a root system. I don't know how to create a forest. I don't know how to create a river. I know how to be with one and be in the flow. I know there's something greater out there, Brian. And to our people, the Cherokee people, the Tzalagi, we call ourselves the Tzalagi. And that was taken by, that was another challenge we faced, was the settlers coming in, we call ourselves the Tzalagi Anawiya. The, the principal people, they call us, but loosely translated, it says we're the first people of the earth. And now we're being treated not like that. So as I was saying, you know, I was sent to the public school because the, the school on the boundary tested every year in the state, the very poorest, got the worst education. If you went to the school, high school, elementary school, didn't matter. You received the poorest education in Cherokee because they had government teachers. They didn't get paid on performance. They got paid a paycheck because they worked for the government. So I don't know if that was the overall reason, but my parents didn't want me to be part of that system. So when we were sent to the white school and about 300 white kids, we didn't have any blacks. We didn't have any Asians. We didn't have any Hispanics. It was white and Indian. And five of us couldn't speak English in a white school. So the tribe provided us with a translator, an interpreter. And that's how I learned. Sitting in first grade, hearing this and then waiting for the echo to come. I knew how to do that by listening to nature. I would listen and not hear a voice. And I knew how the flow worked.
there were times that they because I could see it frustrated them as much as I was frustrated I couldn't speak it. So these were the challenges that I faced. These were the first ones that I became aware of as a six, seven-year-old child. And looking at my Cherokee friends who were still my best friends, and we're only seven days apart in age. Our mothers were best friends together, sat on the front porch weaving baskets, speaking Cherokee, telling stories in Cherokee, singing Cherokee lullabies, sitting on the porch together, the three of them pregnant. And we were born today, we're still best friends. But growing up and being raised and born into a culture that's still really raw, America might think that because of the internet and we see everything that's instantaneous that's happening today, this has been happening forever. The atrocities we see, the miracles we see, we just hear about it more instantly now. And that's what the purity of the first message ever was. If we think we're evolved now just because of the internet, then why not? Oh my gosh, if we could just remove all that static and just get back to the very first language, man, we wouldn't need nuclear power. We wouldn't need electricity. We wouldn't need supermarkets. We wouldn't need industry. We wouldn't need people to protect the forest because everybody would be out there living. So I feel that these are the challenges I was groomed to help face. Beautiful. I want to, um, I love what you're sharing and it's getting a little bit broken up. So my idea is maybe we could just go without the video and the audio will be clearer. Okay. just want to try okay. to stop video button. So let's try that here. Okay. Okay. Uh, hopefully that'll help out. So yeah, I really appreciate what you're sharing and, and it's um, really inspiring to me. Um, it, it's like there's like a different way of, of consciousness, right? That's the way I, I, would, I would share what you're saying. It's like a different consciousness that has been lost but can be regained in a, in a new way. Like one of the things you're talking about is like time. You know, mm -hmm. it feels like there's like a different perception of time that, you know, you're carrying in your lineage than, than the modern world has right now. We have a very kind of short, everything has to happen, you know, this kind of, right. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's that. And then, um, you know, the first language, I love that of like listening to the forest, listening to the trees and, and like this, this language that's like deeper than actual words and thoughts, right? Because it feels like these days too, it's like, we're so wrapped up in the mind of thinking and words and lawyers and lawyers twist words different ways. And, you know, we, we have this kind of whole thing with people, you know, and obviously there's a beauty to words. I mean, I feel like you're a poet in your own way. And, you know, I, I, I've written poetry as well. So it can be used in a beautiful way, but it can also be misused. And it feels like there's a, there's a way of communicating with this, this intelligence of the universe that's, that's deeper than that, that you, that you access. Well, I, I have my grandfather to thank for that. 
And my grandfather was a very simple man, Brian. He, you know, he just, he didn't speak English. He might have known 10 words of English, but he couldn't put it, put together a sentence. And if he could, he'd never let on. And he, he lived on a mountain on 250 acres of land that uh, there was no running water. There was no electricity. We'd wake up in the morning and there'd be bobcats and deers in the backyard. And if you wanted something to eat, you didn't have to go much further than throwing a rock out the back door. There was fish in the stream, maybe a little native trout or something, or you wanted bigger fish, we'd walk a half hour or so down to the bigger river and catch the rainbows and the bass, or we'd trap squirrels. You know, these were the things that, you know, nobody had to teach us. When we were children and mom would, that door would open, which, you know, in the morning as kids, we'd just go. There was no mom telling us, hey, where are you going? And be careful or be home by so-and-so. No. When we went running out the door as kids, oh, you had to take a knife, maybe a butter knife and a, and a paper bag or some kind of something to hold greens. Because if you were out there as a kid playing in the woods, and you come across some ramps or some wild greens or mushrooms, well, you put that in the bag right quick, then you set the bag down, then you go play, and then on your way back home, you bring this food home. And nobody had to tell us to do it. And that was, to me, that's understanding the language of just necessity and being in balance with the earth and how there's reciprocity. There's reciprocity in the innocence of childhood and exploring and learning the simplicity of nature. Of just, if, are you hungry? Uh, well, you know how to go out there to the creek and catch fish or turn over a stone and catch a few crawdads. You know how to build a trap and go catch a rabbit or a turkey. You can shoot a bow and arrow if you need something a little bit bigger. Oh, by the way, get us a salad while you're at it. You can eat this flower. You can eat that root. You can eat that grass. You know, all of this, Brian. These were the things that when people say, how did you learn? How, how do you know that, Yona? I just remember. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a class. <laughs> you know, what's, what's interesting to me, and I feel like I've heard you, you make this point, is you remember because it's, you know, it was in this incarnation for you. you. It was when you were young. And I think all of us have that potential to remember, right? If we go far enough back, like I think hearing you talk, there's something in me that's like, yeah, this is, this is the way to live. This is, this is what we're designed for. And I think we all have this feeling of like, you know, we're out of balance right now in the way we're living. And there's a way that we can, you know, realign with this way of life you're talking about in a new way. Um, and I think, if, if wherever, wherever we come from, if we trace our lineage back far enough, we're all tribal people, right? It's just some of us lost it earlier than others. And, and you're able to like have this, be carrying this because you, you've lived it, you know, and, and we can reaccess it in ourselves. We can re-remember that in ourselves because at some point, if we go back far enough, we all have lived it. And we, some of us just lost our way earlier than yeah. others, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, the, that's one of the 
main things we've shared over the generations is, you know, we're one indigenous tribe of the earth. All of us. If you have a heartbeat, then you're one of us and we're one of you. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of theories and topics and songs and stories about, you know, we're all at least like 99.1% alike. And, you know, and we're all water. We're all, you know, we all talk about death for the most part, returning back to the earth or ashes to ashes and dust to dust. And this is ancient remembrance, you know, Quran or the Torah or whatever it might be, or whatever version of the Bible you can put your hands on. Cause man, you throw a strip stick in any direction, you can hit 20 of them. And there's just, we, that's why I feel that has been one of the biggest challenges that we face as a modern technological society is that, there's been so much splitting of the hairs when it comes to semantics and the language. And, uh, you know, I have two children and I have three grandchildren and how my grandchildren speak a language that I have a problem with and they call it text and texting and they don't use vowels or they use uh, emojis or, you know, it's this rapid language it's a new language brian and if you don't know it then you're kind of an outsider and i feel like wow uh, you could be considered multilingual <laughs> if it's because it's, some of it's pretty complicated and so you know that's the division between the language and you know you look at the list of different languages you look at the list of different fonts you can find for your typewriter or for your emails or you, man, there's a whole page of stuff that divides there when there's been one common language. And I feel that that's one of the challenges that has to be recognized, let alone be dealt with. It has to be acknowledged, Brian, that yeah, we had to find a common language instead of, Oh, I speak nine or 10 languages. Well, that's good, but can you boil that down to one and teach us that one? Um, what is your sense of telepathic communication? Is, is that something that you feel we can, we have, we've had access to in the past or you have access to, or we can re-access as people? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I believe my grandfather always said that his grandfather so my grandfather, Drowning Bear, the, the chief of the Cherokee back in the day, he was considered a visionary as well. And he was told not to leave these mountains. And he told my grandfather when he was a child that whenever you go out in nature and if you want to go back to the stars, you can always just go back. All you have to, it's kind of like the Dorothy complex. All you have to do is click your moccasins together three times and there you go. And through evolution, through the creation of distraction, through the evolution of technology where people are watching TV or going to concerts or working 80 hours a week, or they don't have time to stand in nature and focus on the sky anymore. So they have lost the, ability to fly just like animals in nature when they don't fly then over a while then they lose that ability they're land birds now like what was it the dodo bird that couldn't fly 
because it was dormant for the most part, you know, and uh, evolution has shown us if you don't use that muscle, then nature will eventually put that muscle to use in another way. So, so I the, feel that we do have ancient, yeah, a telepath, if you want to call it that. I feel that it's just being in harmony and like a radio station. You know, they're static and they're static and bam, it's clear. And it's just about how you tune in. Yeah, so why don't we talk about that? How, how do you tune in, right? How do you, how do you access this, this truth and this wisdom? And it seems like, I would start off by saying connecting to nature, right? That's a, that's a huge component of, of what you're, what you're advocating, but anything else you want to share about how do we, how do we connect to this wisdom and this truth? Well, Brian, the one thing that I'm finding whenever I start with simplicity, that, 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 that might be the most, the, the one thing that goes over people's head the most, instead of going into uh, science or mystery uh, people get mystery, or at least you can ignite their curiosity. What I believe that needs to be done now in this time of where we, just like we're doing this podcast and we're doing the internet and, and uh, the Zoom, let's recognize the distractions in our lives. Let's recognize where we're spending our time. Do we want more quietness in our life? And are we living a life where we can create more space for that quietness to enter in? And if not, then it all begins in the mirror. When you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, and what do you see? Are you stressed out? Did you not get enough sleep? Did you get enough sleep? Did you get just the right amount? You're in a good mood? or I mean, what is it? And a lot of that is driven by whenever the conscious mind awakens out of the dream sleep, that not that sleep is, is unconscious, but whenever that the mind comes awake and the lights come on and all of a sudden, depending on the personality, uh, a lot of our society is do, do, do. I know so many people within my own family that when they wake up in the morning, the first thing they do is turn on the TV, look at their phone, or very few do I know just quietly get up, maybe drink some water and go outside and stretch and breathe and just give thanks for being alive. I think it's uh, setting our priorities right. And identifying the distractions in our lives. And then what's that, that saying? The visualize, realize, and then actualize. Visualize what's not serving your high vibration, then realize it. And like, wow, I could have had a V8. And then realize what can be done and actualize it and do something about it. Visualize, realize, and actualize. And, but that takes, some, you know, uh, some people can't look in the mirror, right? And I've had those days too. I think it's, it's really um, powerful for me what you're sharing. Because when I, I, I think about, well, what can I do to make a positive difference in the world? What, you know, what can I do? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I, how many different things can I do? I need to do more, right? 
And this is a kind of common way we're conditioned, I feel like, in the Western, you know, culture to, to approach things. And it, because of that, it's easy to forget this, you use the word quietness, you know. And what I've been coming to, actually, which is, you know, the opposite of what probably most people would, would look at it, is the way for me to make more of a positive difference in the world is actually to be more quiet right now and to listen more and to actually not talk as much, you know, and to not spend as much time on the screen. And mm -hmm. it feels like there's a deeper receptivity with, you know, great spirit, whatever we want to call it, that, that can happen in that space. And then something will come through from there that says a different quality to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So well, go ahead. Well, well I was just going to say, you know, I mean, I don't, again, identifying and, and, you know, like we say, uh, you know, nocturnal and like the owls and how the animals know to do what they do and their ability to be disciplined and how whenever I've, I've known my kids, I've had to, you know, at times, you know, I'm a parent and you know what, you need to put that phone down or you need to turn that computer off. You need to turn that music off. Uh, but just how much of that really affects the inner brain and looking at that screen and then really not getting a full night's, you might get sleep, but you get rested. And I feel that that's kind of what I'm trying to tie into the quietness is, you know, if we can learn to quiet the mind in our daytime so-called conscious life, then that allows more room for the quiet to enter into our subconscious. And what's a, what's a typical day like for you? Are there certain like rituals that you do that you find valuable or is there something that, you know, what, what's a day in the life of Yona like? Well, when I wake up, I'm very grateful that I have. And I, my, my ritual is drinking a glass of water. First thing when I wake up. And, you know, that's, we're 70% water. The, the earth is primarily water. Uh, we, as a race, as a tribe, are primarily water. So feed the machine, you know, fill your tank and uh, let's get ready to go. So that, to me, any time, I'm a water person. I, I'm a fire sign, Leo. But I really connect to water and the flow and so anything, to, you know, I'll wash, I'll go out to the river and I'll splash my face with water and, you know, give thanks to the food when I eat breakfast, you know, thanks to all that have given and to, you know, feed my body in a good way. And when we talked earlier about, you know, the telepathy, when we eat, uh, you know, greens and salads, you know, they talk about, you know, vegetarians or vegans talk about oh, no food with a face or nothing that's alive. Well, you know, plants are alive too. And uh, I, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but they call them a sound box. And this guy hooks them up to plants and he'll sit there with them and you can hear these plants come into harmony and respond to language and energy. And whenever they're about to be snipped, you can hear them. There's, there, it's a traumatic for moment for them as well. So, you know, all living things, let's, let's not differentiate. 
And I, I feel that that's coming into awareness of if we can calm what divides us. And um, I think that that's a, a step, in, a, a good first step. So when you, you talked about how you're growing up and then you went into school and then what have, take us kind of forward from that point of like, what was your journey from there once you graduate high school and what happens at that point? Well, one of the challenges I was faced with, because at the time, like I said, you know, it, it was new to me to go to the public school. And so all of the Indian children were made to sit in the back of the room. And we didn't know about prejudice. Well, maybe we did. I don't know. We didn't know about prejudice and segregation, but we were being segregated. We didn't call it that. Our parents knew it happened and nobody complained. It was just what you had to do in order to get work to where you were going. So they would put us in back of the classroom. And I didn't know this at the time, but from like first to third to fourth grade, I was just passed along. And I go back and we read my transcripts from school, from the, my school transcripts. My teachers all wrote about me that I was borderline retarded and unteachable because I couldn't speak English. And one of them had even mentioned that I needed to accept Jesus Christ as my savior and I could be saved and um, maybe I wouldn't be stupid the rest of my life. And so in fifth grade, uh, my mom and dad took me to the hospital and I had an eye exam. And come to find out I needed glasses. And so you can see from my school transcripts from fifth grade on, man, I butted like a rose. I could see now <laughs> what they were writing on that chalkboard way up there. And now I could put what they were saying together with what the translate. Oh, this is making sense now. <laughs> you were getting upset with me because I couldn't shoot that rabbit, but I couldn't see that it was a rabbit. <laughs> and now I can. And now I can shoot it. I can, yeah, I can put that on the table if I need to eat it. And, you know, so that was one of the challenges I faced was, uh, being picked on, I mean, we were treated rudely and badly, poorly. We were treated very poorly and called really bad names. And they'd poke us with pencils and pull our hair and spit on us and uh, call us the N-word, the, the red N. They called us red N's, uh, you know. Yeah, got it. So yeah. that, that wasn't a derogatory word to me and really still isn't uh, because I've heard worse <laughs> and I'm being called worse. And so there was always a sense of forgiveness and acceptance that um, our elders always told us that the world we knew was going to change and we needed to learn how to change with it. So that's what my education was, was learning to fit into the white man's world. Because when I went to high school, it didn't change much. <laughs> uh, I mean, a little bit. And then when they found out that we could play sports and that we could run fast and jump high and hit the baseball and run real fast with the football and hit pretty hard too, uh, they come to accept us a little bit. But it was still segregated. My, my freshman year, we were told not to talk to the white girls at all. I was cornered in the bathroom my freshman year by five big white boys. They didn't beat me up. 
but they made it clear to tell all the other Indians that you don't talk to the white girls. And so that was within my, that was my first five minutes of high school experience. Wow. Yeah, I remember you talking before about how there was certain parts of North Carolina when you were younger that you weren't welcome. Um, I think we were in the, the Marshall area and you were saying that now you're leading a sweat lodge there, but there was a time when you weren't even, <laughs> you know, welcome in that area. So, but did, but did you, did you, you know, you, you were learning the white man's world, but did you kind of get lost in the white man's world for a while or did you always retain that that um, wisdom and were you always, you know, leading ceremonies for people or did that come later along? The appreciation of it came later. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't able to leave it behind because uh, we still had to eat. We still had to work in the garden. We still had to hunt. And even though I was learning English and we were excelling at sports and I was making new friends and we were helping to break barriers, Brian, at that time. We were helping break race barriers uh, because we were basically put with the blacks. And so we were all good friends, you know, the blacks and the Indians. And we might have had some Hispanics, but I don't remember any Asians whatsoever in our school. And so, you know, we all kind of glommed together. And then, but we also were the ones that stood out in sports. And I think that that was part of the evolution and but also they found out that you know we were really good people and some of these people some of these children that were mean to us weren't taught any better brian you know right. uh, you know prejudice and all of that stuff you know it's a learned behavior and um there were some people out there that didn't really believe in it but they couldn't go into town if they went against it you know <laughs> They'd be outcast in their own community. And now, you know, there's this shift and I don't know, maybe there were some people at that point, but now there's a shift where a lot of people now that are considered white, like when I go to your, you know, the things that you're at, they want to learn from you and they want to hear your wisdom. And so that's a, that's a major shift that's happened over the past, you know, since you were young. It is. And that's why I say, you know, the appreciation of what I was given as a child and not I, I don't say I, what I was taught, what I was given. You know, like I said, it wasn't OK. I'm going to teach you this today, kids. No, he, my grandpa would wake us up. He'd pinch our ear. And we just knew it was time to get up and we'd go down by the water if we were going hunting. You know, we'd do a little ceremony, a little ritual by the water, say a prayer for the dear nation and ask, you know, let the dear nation know this is me. We made an agreement and I'm coming to you because my family is hungry and we need to eat. And I'm asking, we'll, we will sing for you and we'll make songs and stories of your greatness. And I just ask that you help me to feed my family. And he would pray to the dear whatever it was that we were hunting, whatever it was out in nature that offered itself up to be honored. And we would make tobacco offerings and we'd wash ourselves in the water and we would make a prayer to the, to the wind and ask the tree people to guide us. And then we'd go gather. We didn't hunt, we gathered. Yeah, one of the differences that I really see in hearing you talk is 
there's this consciousness where you're, you're in communication with literally everything, right? You're in communication with the trees, you're in communication with the birds, with the fish, with the, with the bears, with the deer, with the sky, with the stars. And I think like this consciousness, the kind of the, the predominant, the, the predominant consciousness now that in the Western culture is kind of like, all these things are dead. They're inanimate. They don't have any intelligence. Um, you know, humans have the, humans have intelligence and maybe animals have some dumb intelligence and that's it. Um, but I think people need to learn. It's almost like we expand our intelligence by receiving the intelligence of the universe. That's all around us. Right. That's, that's when I think one of the main messages that I think is really powerful and in, in, in what you're sharing is just that intercommunication with all things that's happening and to tune into it and, and, and be in that communication. That's telepathy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. That's what it always is. Always been there. So always been there. <laughs> yeah. But you have to, I, I find you have to quiet your mind, right. To, to access it. If there's all this thinking on the surface, then you can't, once the mind gets quiet, you can tune into that. It's almost like a deeper layer of communication that's happening that you tune into once all the, the kind of mind chatter slows down and quiets down a bit. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, just like what we were talking about earlier, just, you know, how do we face these challenges and, you know, just quieting the mind and uh, identifying what, you know, if we want quiet in our life and, you know, what, how can we invite it in? And removing the distractions. I like that, that point as well. How about like how things are set up as far as like, you know, tribal culture, as far as like decision-making or what we could call like, you know, the kind of the political structure, if that's the word, or like, it feels like, you know, for me, to me, like things are just, this is what kind of started my inquiry is like, and looking at where things are at politically and how things are done and how decisions are made. And it just seems like we're so out of whack, out of balance and inquiring into it. I'm like, well, this, you know, the tribal way of doing things, that seems to make the most sense and be the most balanced and the most connected. So can you talk about like, what is that way of making decisions or what is that way of kind of navigating the world as a, as a, as a tribe, as opposed to like, you know, the, the system that we're currently in? Well, I feel that the system number one that we're in right now is very masculine driven and is very uh, fact refractive, <laughs> it's just redactive. I mean, there have been so many stories told and the truth not really shared, uh, but I feel that the energy of our consciousness on the earth has been dominated by war. It has been dominated by that testosterone, that energy of conquer and uh, that's what happened to us here 250 years ago and or 500 years ago or name a year because it not only happened here, Brian, it happened all across the world. And that's why we're all related like that. Uh, that's why I say we're one indigenous tribe. You know, what happened to us happened to everyone. That's why the settlers, some of the settlers left England. That's why they left Ireland. That's why they left wherever they come from because of religious differences, whatever, whatever the ideas, whatever the differences were, they were pushed out. And they only came and did to us what was done to them. So it's a learned behavior. So whenever we were 
you know, talking about how do we, uh, wait, um, what was your question again? Yeah, just about, uh, you're, you're, you're answering it, you know, but just the, the, the tribal way of doing things and as the, opposed to this current well, way of doing things. A lot of the Constitution was based upon the tribal government that was already here, the, the Confederation of Tribes, uh, the Iroquois tribes and the Mohawks of the North. A lot of the Constitution is based upon the tribal ideals that were already in place of the indigenous people that were already on this land. And a lot of that was driven by, in the Cherokee, it was a beloved woman. Uh, the woman was like the primary chief. And we had seen there were other chiefs. There were, yes, there were war chiefs. If there was a war, if there was no war, then we didn't have a war chief. Uh, but we always had a peace chief. We had, you know, chiefs that for other vice chiefs, chiefs. Uh, but when it came down to it, it was the beloved woman that would go into ceremony, would go in and pray with the earth and pray with the women. And the women would talk to Mother Earth and ask for guidance. And it was the women that made those big decisions when it was time to pull up stakes and move to camp or whether to stay or in time, whether to go to war. So that was our you know, it was a matriarchal honoring the feminine. And I think that that's the difference, that we're, there was a much kinder, softer time. And if we can find a way to blend the masculine and feminine, which we all are, have that parts of the amina and the animus, you know, we have equal parts of it in this. Uh, I think that's another balance that we can come to realize and to help uh, invite quietness and calm into our life. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I think my understanding I, from what I've read from other accounts, and I believe what you shared too, is the, the settlers would come and ask to talk to the chief, thinking that the chief was maybe what you're calling the, like the war chief, right? Thinking he was like the leader, he was in charge of everyone, but that wasn't actually how things operated at all within the tribe. They were just projecting their own ideas of how things work in their system onto the tribe. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, they could, they were free. They, you were, you, you were entitled to free will, but you still had to convince the beloved woman, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so what, what are you, what are you um, offering these days or what, what, what do you have that's happening these days that is a way that people can plug into this knowledge you have, this wisdom you have? Well, Brian, uh, number one, for everyone that, who might be out there locally, I am a minister. I'm the minister of Native American Ceremony and Ritual at Jubilee Community Church here in Asheville. And you can go to the jubileecommunitychurch.org website and see what we're doing there. We're a very open community. We're about creation spirituality. And we're accepting of all idealisms and people. We're just people that want to share a smile and love and a hug and uh, all walk toward the future together. And that's why I'm there. And on the 4th of July, I will, ironically enough, I say ironically because, uh, you know, it is Independence Day and just uh, some of the things that we're talking about challenges in life. I will be sharing the main message at Jubilee that day, giving a message about dancing to freedom. So for anyone that wants to check in on that, 
And also, you can check me out and keep up to date with what I'm doing at youngfrenchhawk.com. And feel free to reach out and contact me. And, you know, we're all growing together. And I really look forward to discovering, you know, what comes next along with everyone else. Because the more I share with everyone out there, the more I learn. Yeah, beautiful. Is there, is there a vision? One of the things I was talking with somebody today about, like, what's, what's your vision for the world? Or what's our vision for the world? Or kind of like, you know, defining that more. Is, is there... Like, is there a vision that you have that you're holding for the world, you know, direction that you, if you know, you're holding for us to, to move in something that you see? Yes, Brian. And it, it could be spoken. It has many names. But for me, when I find bliss and quiet and, when I try to remove the human language from my thoughts and even the Cherokee language, sometimes, you know, I still dream in the Cherokee language and everyone speaks Cherokee in my dreams. And I still have dreams where I just listen to the wind and the water. And that's my vision of, I feel is everyone being able to go back. And if you're going to go on Babel or one of these language you don't have to go to Bible. Uh, maybe I'll create something else, maybe a babbling brook or something, a return to nature and how to listen, to be quiet and listen and to speak silently. Beautiful. I think that's, a, that's the perfect note to end on. I really appreciate Wonderful. you being with us, Jonah. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. You're so welcome, Brian, and thank you so much for your vision and uh, and for op- opening this uh, opportunity.